0: The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the traditional Catholic faith and religion as professed and practiced by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of the Second Vatican Council and the so-called New Order of Mass.
1: Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Snagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins from the Society of St. Pius V. He's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you?
0: Fine, thank you, Tom. Good evening, too.
1: You too. Thank you, Father. Tonight, Father Jenkins and I will discuss an absolute classic in the realm of Catholic spiritual reading, a book titled An Introduction to the Devout Life. This book is essentially a step-by-step guide uh, showing souls how to embrace a life of true devotion and reach a high degree of sanctity. The book was written by one of the greatest saints, St. Francis de Sales, So, Father Jenkins, in this book, I would like to briefly pick through some of his main points here. And St. Francis de Sales divides the book into five different parts. And in the first part, he speaks of this true devotion, and he defines true devotion as essentially a perfect love for God, a perfect charity. And he goes on to show that... This life of true devotion, God offers not only to his priests or religious, but in fact, God offers this great gift to everyone. To each and every one of us, we have this gift of being able to embrace a life of true devotion and a perfect love for God. How wonderful is that thought, Father?
0: It is truly wonderful. Uh, So much so that there are those in the history of the church, some spiritual writers who didn't actually believe that. (coughs) They thought that God had a certain elite... Among mankind who were called to perfect love for him in this life. And the rest of mankind was kind of consigned to muddle through spiritually, uh, perhaps barely save their souls. But only a, a handful of people, relatively speaking, were actually called to love God perfectly even in this life. Uh, the Jesuit Scaramelli was one of those uh, leaders of that. that way of thinking. But uh, St. Francis de Sales, uh, certainly speaking for the majority of the spiritual writers in the history of the church, says that every single soul is called to love God with a pure love, uh, with all of his heart, all of his mind, all of his soul, all of his strength. that That is the vocation for every single one. And even though there are only a handful who actually arrive at that point in this life, of course the chief among them uh, is our Blessed Lady herself. You know um, That this is still really the goal of every life. In order to be in heaven with God, we have to love Him with that perfect love, the, the, we we'll love Him with all of our powers of loving, uh, so that we do not have that double heart, that that twofold Kind of double-sided heart, loving God, but only somewhat, you know, loving other things. Actually, as a separate love from our love for God. So, uh, Saint James talks about the double-minded man. Okay, and we might also talk about double-double-hearted man in terms of his uh, his love is divided between God and the things and, and creature, creatures. Uh, So, the saints in heaven now uh, all have in common that they have a wholehearted love for God. They fulfill the first great commandment. The denial that uh, all of us are created to achieve that, even in this life, is basically to say that God created most of us by far um, to either go to hell or at least to go to purgatory. Uh, that we're already created for that, with that in mind, that we're not called to do any more than that in this life, that God sets the bar, as it were, lower for some than for others, and that we are called to leave this life without loving, some of us are, without loving God that way, and so we are predestined to purgatory, as it were. And um, that, that is not true in the eyes of the great spiritual writers. Uh, notably St. Francis de Sales, it is truly a wonderful thing to think about that in answer to your question, that God actually calls every single soul to love him perfectly, to arrive at that point of a perfect love for God in this life, before he leaves this life, so that when he does, he breathes it forth his soul, that that soul is ready to enter heaven. This is what God really intends.
1: St. Francis de Sales in this book says, It is not merely an error, but a heresy to suppose that a devout life is necessarily banished from the soldier's camp, the merchant's shop, the prince's court, or the domestic hearth. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a great quote to illustrate. That <clears throat> which is
0: which, what he's saying there. It is not, it's a heresy to say the love of God is impossible. Right. That's a heresy to say that. Uh, the Jansenists would actually say that, and that is a heresy. Jansenism. The Jansenists even went so far as to say that there are certain sins that are of a nature that a, a devout man, even with the help of God's grace, cannot help himself but sin, and that certainly tends in the direction of Lutheranism. Right. So it is a heresy, and uh, Saint Francis de Sales understood that as a saint understands
1: these things. Definitely. Well, Father, uh, like I said, this book, it provides a step-by-step process to achieve this life of, of true devotion. Mm-hmm. St. Francis de Sales says that the very first step towards embracing a life of true devotion is that of purifying the soul. And in particular, he says the first purification is that of mortal sin, purifying the soul from mortal sin. And he only gives one means of obtaining this first purification, and that is the sacrament of penance. So, Father, um, could you perhaps explain that to us? Why is it that confession, the sacrament of penance, is so powerful that it can purify a soul from mortal sin? How does that work?
0: Well, even responding to what you said a moment ago, that he gives only that one means. You know? The only other means that the Catholic Church recognizes as being able to uh, obtain justification from mortal sin is the perfect love for God. But St. Francis of Salem says that is the end result of the process of sanctification. You can't start there, right? So he's saying, ordinarily, I mean, God can give a powerful grace Mm -hmm. to someone who may may be asking, pleading for it, that he he is in the state of mortal sin, the, the soul is in the state of mortal sin, and the person is moved to ask God for the grace of perfect love for him,
1: he, he perfect charity. He mentioned St. Paul and St. Mary Magdalene as examples of that, but he says that, you know... Well, that's extraordinary. Right, extraordinary, that's the exception, there. not the rule.
0: So, uh, outside of that, okay, you have the sacrament of penance, in which sacrament, the merits of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucified, supply what is lacking in us. That is the love for God that is lacking in us. We have to bring some love to our Lord to the sacrament of penance and uh that that predisposition to love you might say that 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 first whispering of love in the soul that brings us into the confessional when we're in the state of mortal sin okay um something has to have moved us even that desire to love god to come to confession to confess our sins and um so that is the beginning of a conversion really right um And the Sacrament of Penance, as I say, applies to our imperfect contrition, the merits of Christ crucified, his great love, infinite love for the Father, which closes the gap that otherwise could not possibly be bridged and obtains for us forgiveness of sin that we call justification from sin. And that's really where the spiritual life begins, because as as long as one is living in the state of mortal sin, there is no spiritual life. He does not have the life of sanctifying grace, the divine life in the soul. Uh, The soul is cold and dark and empty and lifeless as a soul. It's empty of the life of God. So um, the, the sacrament of penance is a sacrament of the living which can actually restore that. It's, it's like sort of like lighting the, the flame again, you know, at a hearth where everything has gone out, as it were. You know? um, so that, that really is the beginning. That is the, that is the first step of a soul that wants to leave the life of mortal sin and begin to live in the, in the state of grace.
1: And he goes from there, Father, on to the second purification, which he says is the purification of, uh, of avoiding even the affection to to sin and venial sins. And uh, so also for this end, he still <laughs> recommends uh, confession, the sacrament of, of penance. Mm-hmm. But in particular, he recommends a general confession of one's whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before that point, before one makes a general confession of their whole life, St. Francis de Sales, uh, he composes in the book a series of ten meditations on just uh, eternal truths of our Lord and God and creation and so on and so forth. And he says uh, these meditations are to be taken one day at a time. And after these 10 days of med- meditations, for one, to make their general confession of yeah. their whole life. And uh, he says that that this this general confession, this is kind of the starting point for one on his life, on yeah. his uh, journey to achieve true devotion. So, not only is this uh, sacrament of, of penance effectual for converting one from mortal sin, but also even <clears throat> venial sins and the, any lingering affection for sin you may have.
0: Well, what you're describing, Tom, is what the spiritual writers call the purgative way. And uh, <clears throat> the purgative way is when the soul is purged of a sin and its affection for sin. Uh, Purgare in Latin. Purgare means to purify, right? comes from the Greek word pur, which means fire, which gives us both the word fire and purify in our English language. Purgation is the, uh, as you say, purging of the affection for sin from the soul. The purgative way is the first way of the soul in its spiritual life. It is where it all begins. One has to begin the purgative way by making that decision to live in the state of grace and to break the bonds that hold it in the state of mortal sin. So, um, the idea of the way of purgation as being a way and a process, it's not just a moment of conversion, right, is because the Catholic Church understands That even though we make the will, the act of the will, the decision to live in the state of grace, it doesn't just happen automatically. The affections are still bound up with sin and the temptations to sin. And even as one is building up within himself even an aversion for sin and the desire to stop sinning and to live in the state of grace, he still has the attachment to the to the temptations. This is why so we see people falling back into the same sins over and over again because they, they have got to get, uh, to accept the, uh, the, the very idea that they can't maintain their affection for the temptations and expect that they are going to escape without committing the sins. It's hard for them to say, I have to live my life without these temptations if I'm serious about saving my soul. Um, So it is a process by way they they face that fact and actually purge their lives of these willful temptations to mortal sin and their attachment to these things, that they can still, let's say, watch these shows, listen to that music, associate with those friends whatever it might be, <clears throat> drink alcohol what, whatever it might be they have to actually push these things out of their lives and uh, that that takes that's a way of, of, of actually purifying their lives which mm-hmm. takes them grace and effort and um, the uh, the thing that Saint Thomas Saint, uh, Saint Francis says recommends, Though the 10 meditations are meant to actually achieve the solidifying of the will in its determination to give up sin, to purify the soul of not only affection for the sin but to purify the soul of its affection even for the temptations and the hold of those temptations over the soul. It's a process that the soul goes through for 10 days, and then at the end of making those 10 meditations, the soul should be, if it's done done well in those meditations, <clears throat> should be ready to actually make a general confession of the sins of one's whole life. And do so with a resolution that is efficacious, okay? Not just wishful thinking. All too often people go to confession and they... And they they say, I'm sorry for all my sins. Okay. Now, the priest doesn't know, and maybe they don't know either, whether that's true contrition for their sin, right? They just want the sins to go away. Some people want the sins to go away and have every intention to go right back to doing the same old things because they it hasn't even entered into their mind that they have to push the temptations out of their lives, stay away from the occasions of sin. In other words, the practical consequences... Either they, it hasn't occurred to them yet, or if it's occurred to them, they rejected it. They, they just don't want to do that. Is there a true contrition for this sin? Because without it, there can be no forgiveness. Well, that's a question they're gonna to have to answer someday. <laughs> you know, uh, the priest may even raise that specter to them. You know, you, you know, you have to have true contrition in order to have forgiveness, and in order to have true contrition, you have to make up your mind to give up these sins and the things that lead you into these sins. You have to take practical steps not to fall into these sins again, but to resolve to resist them by the grace of God. You can't be saying, I'm going to resist the temptations even while I'm putting myself back in the occasions of sin again and subjecting myself to the temptations. So uh, sometimes the priest really has to point that out to somebody if he thinks the person doesn't get that point. (laughs) But um, in any case... um, the general confession is so important, it's kind of like the capstone and the goal of those meditations. So that by that time, the person has been assisted in preparing for the, the general confession by those meditations, whereby he's actually kind of examining his conscience in, in preparation for the, for the actual confession. So what, he, what he's proposing by, by, in, by the way of a, uh, ten, a series of 10 meditations is actually a form of examination of conscience, preparing for the General Confession. Mm-hmm. But it's also a means of um, uh, opening the soul to God's grace to make the soul stronger and stronger and stronger in its determination to break free it's either stuck on the ground of mortal sin or it's in orbit around it still being held by the gravity you know and it hasn't broken free yet it's still being held in the gravitational field of this and finally i mean the, these meditations and the general confession are meant to enable it finally to break free of this imprisoning orbit that it has around its temptations to mortal sin and uh this is meant to then bring the soul ultimately to the the dark night of the senses. And, you know, the the idea that the soul that perseveres in this determination to live in the state of grace, so as to die in the state of grace, go to heaven, right? That that soul will, through the purgative way, approach more and more and then finally be introduced into the way of... of, um, well, the soul will undertake active purgations, like penances and mortifications, deliberate things, you know. Deliberately being patient in adversity. Uh, making a decision, I'm going to give up this dessert, I'm going, to, or I'm going to give this alms. I'm going to spend my time helping this person. And as a sacrifice of my time and energy, rather than indulging myself in fun, I'm going to help someone who needs my help as an act of charity. I mean, these are all deliberate decisions one makes to do something out of love for God. But there's the way of passive purgation, too, which we'll find in the dark night of the senses, where God himself will, will again, the person afflictions, uh, maybe some kind of hardships, uh, one, one form or another, never more than the soul can endure, never more than the person can take. But for the sake, again, of again, bringing that soul to another higher level. Another higher level spiritually. It's one thing for us to choose our own mortifications. There's, we can still be pride, be very proud of ourselves in these things. Oh, look what I can do, you know, I mean, you know, like a kid, you know. Um, um, but the way of passive purgation uh, is very humbling, you know. It kind of rules out the pride of, look what I can do, my own achievement here. And um, God will often do that as an answer to the fact he sees us trying to mortify ourselves and he says, well, here, I will help you. And reach down from heaven and hold, and brings us up higher, like friend, you know, come up higher. Um, but this will lead ultimately into the way of the, the illuminative world. Which we're, and we're not quite there quite yet in Saint Francis de Sales. We're still, uh, in the terms of your questions, in the way of the of the purgative way, just trying to get a solid foothold in living your life in the state of state of sanctifying grace, so that even though it might not rule out falling into mortal sin, that no one ever falls into mortal sin. It's by all means exceptional, whereas before it was the norm that one would pass days, weeks, months in the state of mortal sin and maybe make a confession and then come back into the state of grace for three or four days and then fall back again. Now, just the opposite of the case, (coughs) or even beyond that, one will live days, weeks, months, years in the state of, of sanctifying grace through some momentary lapse, maybe caused by pride, falling into mortal sin, but then immediately scrambling back and getting to confession and saying, I don't want this, you know, Mm -hmm. like falling into a, like you would if you fell into a fire, a campfire, you'd get out of the right way, you know. Mm -hmm. And so it's very rare that a soul like that, then, after they've been through the way of passive purgation, the way of, uh, purgative way, I'm sorry, would find himself uh, in the state of mortal sin and certainly not living there day after day after day.
1: Father, in, in conjunction with this, uh, with using using the sacrament of penance to achieve these these uh, this, these goals that you talked about, he uh, Saint Francis de Sales, in the next part of his book, he he talks about prayer and the necessity of prayer, and this is really the the bulk of his work here. And he says that to further purify the soul, prayer is required. And the first, uh, in particular, mental prayer. And he says the first point of mental prayer concerns placing oneself in the presence of God, and he uh, he gives a short explanation of that. So why is it, Father, that it's, it's so important, he says, uh, whether it's vocal prayer, mental prayer, any prayer that you do at all, the first thing you should do before you set about praying at all is place yourself in the presence of God. Why is that so important?
0: Because it's of the very nature of prayer.
1: Okay.
0: I mean, prayer, as St. Augustine said some time ago, is the raising of the heart and the mind to God. Which we can express in the sense that, you know, you have your intellect and you have your will that God has given you these powers. Knowing truth, loving goodness. <clears throat> the most perfect way of using those, those powers of the mind, of the soul, is to raise them to the truth of God. be mindful of God, who is the supreme truth, right? And to raise your heart to the love of God, who is the supreme good. I mean, this is the, the if it is, it is precisely the intelligence and the will that make us like God, uh, in, the, in the image of God, and this is what makes us human, really, right? Then the greatest, then we are the most human, you might say, when our intellects are raised to the greatest truth and our wills are raised to the greatest good. And that's when we pray, we turn our hearts and our minds to God. That is when we are most of all what God created us to be. When we are in union with him in this way. And it is kind of a foretaste of heaven. So, in order to pray, that is to turn our minds, to be mindful of God, to give God our attention, and to turn our hearts, that is to direct our love to God, we have to begin by putting ourselves in the presence of God and being mindful of the fact that he is mindful of us and bringing it a sense, I mean, we're, we're, we're turning our, our minds. It doesn't necessarily just happen like a magnet. We, we actually turn toward God with an act of the deliberate decision <clears throat> motivated by his goodness, right, to n- think of him. To think of him and love him. That's prayer requires that turning of the mind and the heart to God. And we become mindful and make an act of the will of him who is always mindful and is always in, in the act of love for us. Always. Even when we're not mindful or loving of him. He is continually, from eternity, mindful and loving in us. And we turn and we meet that. We actually, we meet that with an act of mindfulness or attention and affection to God. For, so for that moment, if it's just a moment, or if you're a saint in ecstasy, and you're you're frozen in that, you're, you're I should say, captivated by that long moment, of, and it seems like a moment for those in ecstasy, of that attention and that affection, that as it were, uh, traverses between us and God, His His attention and His affection, which are infinitely powerful, His knowledge and His love for us, and our very limited affection, attention, and affection to Him meet, as it were, in moments of prayer. But that can only happen if we start in, if we start out by being mindful and loving of God. That's putting ourselves in God's presence. Um, and, you know, even the expression, it's almost as though, well, I'm not in God's presence, so I have to put myself there. Well, of course you're in God's presence. You know, if you weren't in God's presence, you wouldn't exist, right? Um, so it doesn't mean that you are suddenly turning to God and getting his attention. Like, Here I am over here, you know, and that's not it. You know? We are always in the presence of God in terms of his his mindfulness of us and his uh, attentiveness to us and his affection for us it's always there but the thing is that we are we are putting ourselves in there uh, you know it, it, we're, we're becoming aware of it conscious of it deliberately deliberately making ourselves aware of it and responding by being mindful and loving toward god that's the essence of prayer
1: well father with this definition that you're giving it seems almost that uh Prayer and meditation could be used interchangeably. It seems almost that they're the same thing. And in fact, in the book, it seems almost that St. Francis de Sales does use them interchangeably. He says, I recommend mental prayer. And then he talks about meditation. So are, are prayer well, and meditation exactly. the same thing? What's the difference? Because
0: with prayer, I mean, the object of your prayer is God. Is he is God Himself. God, a supreme truth, God a supreme good. Mm-hmm. As an object. As the object, you might say, of our knowledge, our affection, that we turn these to God. Okay, our attention, our attention, our affection. I keep coming back to that as a way of putting it. When you meditate, you can you could choose to meditate on the patience of our Lord. You could turn to meditate on perseverance as a virtue, right? As it is exemplified in the life of our Lord, our Blessed Mother, and the saints. Now, meditating on those things, the patience or perseverance, meditating on the version, version, those virtues, is not the same as prayer itself, which is directed to God himself. Meditation is also kind of discursive in that you have a rational program to follow. You notice that St. Francis de Sales and the other great spiritual writers actually have a person, a kind of program to follow step by step in their meditations, right? and prayer doesn't necessarily follow those steps it's just the, the mind is full of the of the of the thought of god's thought of us you know you see in the saints when they're in prayer and, and they would even go into ecstasy their their consciousness so to speak their awareness is absolutely filled with the awareness of god's presence there's nothing there's no other thought in their mind nothing that is distracting them, like paying the electric bill, right? Did I turn off the iron, feed the dog? They're not thinking of anything like that. There is no other thought in their mind than God. It's completely taken all of their attention. And that's real prayer, you know. And, um, and, and love, I mean, their affection is, is uniquely directed to God. Okay? And this is the act of the soul, the intelligence and the will in the human soul in prayer. And uh, so it's not discursive. It doesn't kind of reason from one thing to another, like <clears throat> telling myself, well, gee, um, I love God, and this is, these are the reasons why I should love him more. You're, you're not thinking about that necessarily when you're actually praying. It is making an act of awareness and love for God. So, I hope that is somewhat clear.
1: Sure. Well that that seems to explain that, Father. It seems almost that uh this program that you talked about that St. Francis de Sales outlines, it seems that he uh he kind of sandwiches the meditation with prayer on either mm-hmm. end. He says, you know, to start with this uh this Well, they
0: have to be united. Mm-hmm. There there's like a symbiotic relationship between mm-hmm. the two.
1: Mm-hmm. You
0: know. Uh so you can't really separate the two. uh so.
1: His, his, recommend, his recommendation is, uh, his program that he, that he uh, outlines here is, like we said, to place yourself in the presence of God. The second part is invocation. And from there, he actually, which does, that preparation seems like that would be the more prayer that he talked about. And then from yeah. there, he actually goes to the uh, more meditation, which is the compensation of place. Uh, and then he has the reflections and resolutions. And finally, he ends with the conclusion, which consists of a thanksgiving, oblation, and intercession. So which seemed... are
0: more beginning with prayer and ending concluding with
1: prayer right so does, that, does would that be accurate to say that um, he, he's almost you know starting with prayer and then having the meditation and then ending mm-hmm. with prayer
0: Right he's starting with prayer and the purpose of the meditation is then to increase the, the devotion of the prayer really okay. It's about to feed the prayer. The object is the prayer though. praying where you are, meditating, hopefully increasing. The devotion, opening the soul wider and wider, as it were, to receive a greater infusion of grace, and then close with a prayer that is even on a higher level, as it were.
1: Okay. And, and as far as this mental prayer that he recommends, he says, uh, actually, that one should devote themselves to an hour of this mental prayer every day, particularly uh, in the morning, if possible. And he says that... Uh, that this mental prayer it should be drawn from uh, meditations of our Lord's life. That should be the chief object of our meditations, the chief object of our prayer. So does that mm. sound accurate to you, Father? That every mm. day we should meditate upon our Lord's, uh, in particular, his passion and death, mm. and meditate mm. on that and draw our have our prayers and our meditations revolve around that.
0: Oh, definitely every
1: day yeah, of yeah. our lives.
0: Sure, sure. Well, you know the whole idea of our what our Lord says. Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. He says repeatedly that we are to learn from him. So we must be the ob- he. He is the the object lesson of our all our, our entire lives, of our entire, you know, spiritual life must must begin and end with him. Okay. So uh, he is the great model for all the spiritual life. Remember, that's what Our Lady did. Our Lady pondered in her heart. The, the, the things of our Lord, and um, the Rosary wants us to ponder again, you know, the events in the life of our Lord, um, so, you know, it, it also is, is built around the same idea, the, the, the same idea that is expressed in the imitation of Christ or the following of Christ, that he and his example are the lessons, this is, his life is the textbook from which we must learn, what it is to know, love, and serve God.
1: One final point on this, Father. It, it seems, at first glance, this seems rather awkward and rather complicated. You know, I, I just outlined, what, five or six different different parts, and they're all rather detailed. He gives a, at least a, a paragraph or two of explanation of each one of these parts. It, mm. Is prayer really that complicated? Is this how we should... Well, write? prayer is
0: not complicated. Meditation, there, there is a format to meditation. Meditation is um, is not contemplation. Okay, more contemplation is more a matter of prayer. Meditation is a matter of pondering, reason, rationally. It's like a a, a rational, thoughtful meditation, a a reflection on certain points, such as I mentioned before: perseverance and purity, uh, humility. And it's a matter of looking at these things almost almost theologically, okay? But above, the, above meditation is actual prayer, when your thoughts are filled with the thought of God. And you're not just thinking about, well, God's patience, God's perseverance. You're thinking about God and his presence there. Uh, meditation is essential so that we can learn, uh, excuse the expression, the nuts and bolts of the spiritual life, you know, because the virtues are the strengths of the soul, uh, the strengths of of the faculties of the soul that we need in order to serve God well, right? But the actual knowing and loving God, that's the essence of prayer. Okay. Well,
1: Father, that's really the bulk of the the second part of his of his work, and really really the, the main part of his book. But just real quickly to kind of go through these other parts, the, the third part, he talks about the practice of virtue. And he gives um, wonderful, wonderful explanations of, of all different kinds of virtues, patience, humility, meekness, diligence, and so on and so forth. And he gives wonderful uh, practical advice on how we can grow in these virtues. But one important point he makes is that uh, so many times individuals will choose one or two virtues that they want to work on and they'll kind of ignore all of the other ones and they'll be so focused on say practicing patience and this will consume their lives that they'll, they'll want to practice patience and every every second of every day they want to work on their patience and this will really serve to the detriment of all the other virtues. So what what is the... What is the hard to imagine
0: working on patience serving as a detriment. In other words, You know, one one can practice a virtue to excess or defect Mm -hmm. if one's practice of patience led the person to, under the guise of patience, uh, allow um, himself to be kept from the duties of state and life because he's Mm -hmm. neglecting the things he should be doing, so that he's he's pretending that that's practicing patience. You know? mm-hmm. um, that would not be a virtue, clearly. Right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not I'm trying to understand exactly I, I what think, you I mean. think that's that's what he's getting One at. One can say, okay, I'm going to be humble, which means I'm going to um, not profess my faith so that I will be thought of as... A bad person, and i 'll accept the opprobrium of good people who will who will think me bad because i don 't go to mass on Sunday because uh, i' deliberately miss mass on Sunday so that good people will think i 'm a bad person and be humble that way I mean I know it 's kind of ridiculous, but i 'm trying to trying to translate this into uh, in a, a way that it could practically so uh, it, it, one could practice uh, being abstemious at the table, and starve oneself to death. And that, again, would not be the virtue um, of temperance, but would rather be foolhardy and sin against, it would sin against the virtue of temperance by excessive self-denial to the point where it does harm to someone.
1: I think that's what he's getting at, Father. Just a quick quote here. He says that there are some who make a great mistake in striving after some special virtue by acting upon it at unsuitable times. They're like those philosophers of old okay. who insisted on always laughing or always crying, and what is worse, such persons find fault with those who differ from them. The apostle bids us weep with them that weep and yeah. rejoice with them that rejoice, and charity is patient, benevolent, kind, etc. So there's that, the, the fourth. Well, figure. I think
0: uh, the antidote to that would be 1 Corinthians chapter 13, St. Paul's first, to the Corinthians, sense, yeah. <laughs> where St. Paul maps out what charity is and what it does. And uh, it's, it's like a summary of the spiritual. It's like a summary of the moral life as taught by the Catholic Church.
1: Right, exactly. Uh, then he goes into this fourth part, Father, which is titled Some Needful Remedies Against Ordinary Temptations. And really, the the main part of this is he's talking about we must not give heed to what will the world say. And how important is that? That you know someone will make a resolution to, to uh, embark on this journey, this life of true devotion to our Lord, and yet they're uh, they're so concerned about what others will say, what others will think of them, and there's all of these other things going on. So how can one? They might as well say, well, what will the devil think
0: of this? <laughs> Because that's what the devil wants them to think, you know. What will others say? Mm -hmm. And I would hope they would say, well, what would the others say if I love God and I want to be faithful to him and I want to save my soul? And the answer will be, well, those who, um, you know, are good people will will rejoice and be edified, right? And those who are bad people, hopefully, will be converted by a good example, right? But... (laughs) Uh, anybody who thinks like that is going to be very hard pressed to take the long, first step in a long journey. Right? Right. In terms of what, what others say, if I uh, if I begin to um, you know want to save my to act as though I want to save myself, yeah. you know, <laughs> to behave myself in a conformity. If I begin to practice at least the first gift of the Holy Ghost, fear of the Lord. What will others say, you know, if I show respect for God and fear of the Lord? And um, I think a person who, who is tempted with that thought has to say, okay, what will others say in this life? But what will everyone say in the next life about what I've chosen to do here?
1: That's a good point.
0: And they need to think in terms of that because that's the eternal answer, the everlasting answer that will get.
1: Exactly. Well, Father, in the final part of his book, St. Francis de Sales, he talks about the importance of renewing the soul and confirming her life, her choice of a life of true devotion. And how important is that, Father? He says uh, at least once a year we should kind of break everything down, examine every aspect of our character, examine where we stand with God, uh, how we love God, how we love ourselves, how we love our neighbor, and really just kind of break everything down, like you said, get, get to the nuts and bolts of it, examine every single aspect of ourselves. He says it, uh, he recommends it on a yearly basis to do this. So how important is that, Father, to kind of stop, take a, just take a minute to kind of analyze where we stand? Well,
0: St. Francis de Sales would certainly say, if, if one is scrupulous he should not do that.
1: Yeah, he actually but places. He's talking
0: about. Yeah, right, well, there you are.
1: He places time limits on, on some. Right. some yeah, he, exercises. He's
0: talking about a, a healthy conscience that is neither callous nor scrupulous. And uh, the the the, the calloused conscience could do that in twenty five seconds. <laughs> you know. The uh, the scrupulous conscience couldn't do it in twenty five years. Okay. But he's talking about a very, very accurate, uh, what they call a tender conscience. Okay, And um, that that is very important to take inventory, kind of a spiritual inventory. Uh, one has to assess uh, what still is needful, right? Um, what he still needs to accomplish. One has to stop every now and then and take stock of what is... Uh, predominant fault is—is is it human respect, or is it laziness, right? Or is he given to excess, and uh, uh, in anything? I mean, uh, these are these are things that a person needs God's guidance to to help him with. But the, well, what he's saying is, a person needs to take that time during the year when he turns to God to ask for the answers that he needs. You know, any any. Any process or progress from one place to another, um, we have to take our bearings, especially when you're going through a forest. Right, right? you have to stop and get your bearings at times. You know, Uh, get off the heavenly GPS, as it were, I guess. Um, But this is what he's saying: that we have to do that periodically to get our bearings spiritually, lest we just kind of wander. So, uh, no, he's, of course, as as always, St. Francis de Sales is <laughs> right on the mark, and you couldn't find a better spiritual direction than that.
1: Definitely. Well, Father, I think that's a, a very brief but a, a very good uh, just kind of summary of what St. Francis de Sales teaches and in, introduction. By the, the, introduction, w- by the way, if I exactly,
0: may, a retreat, an annual retreat is the time to do that. Exactly. That's what an annual retreat is for. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what he's actually recommending there—that one make an annual retreat to yep. accomplish that purpose. Yep.
1: Father, I just thought it was so important to uh, to talk about this book because I think it's so it's so applicable to today's world. You know, just recently on the program we had questions about spiritual direction and, and mm-hmm. what do I do? And you know, you you talked about just the the serious shortage of traditional Catholic priests, and it's so hard to to reach all of these souls out there. You know, we get emails from them every day multiple emails every day from yeah. souls that are just lost they say there's no traditional options around me what can i possibly do i'm lost i'm confused i don't know what to do and i think really there there's um there's so many helpful things that can be learned from spiritual yeah. writers like this and Absolutely. i don't think one could do better than to recommend saint francis to sales well i can we both recommend that very highly you know,
0: urgently mm-hmm. Especially those who want to make some spiritual progress. Especially those who want to make any spiritual progress, that is beginning to live their lives in the state of grace rather than to live their lives in the state of mortal sin. That's a great place
1: to start. Definitely. Well, Father, thank you for being here tonight. Appreciate your time. You're very welcome, Tom. Thank you. No problem. Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe.